Hey, everybody, this is Gil McGregor. We want you to get ready for our upcoming podcast with Ben Wallace, one of the great NBA players. We're talking about four-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. We're talking about one of the best rebounders, shot blockers, and steel magnets that ever played in the league. And guess what? He went to Virginia Union and HBCU. So join us and listen to the great Ben Wallace. Welcome to the Black College Sports and Education Foundation weekly podcast, where we equip students, athletes, their families, and supporters with vital tools and information that will impact their decisions on educational opportunities and careers. Tune in every Thursday night at 7 Eastern Standard Time as we host prominent guests from a variety of backgrounds, such as education, sports, medicine, and the corporate world. Remember, the Black College Sports and Education Foundation is your one-stop resource center. Now here's your host, Gil McGregor. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. You know, we've always tried with our podcast to bring you some interesting individuals, great basketball players, especially when we can find those who have had a background in HBCUs. As you recall, we started talking with the great Sam Jones, and we go way back then and had an opportunity to talk to folks from that era. Well, we got a chance to talk to somebody from younger days than that. I'd like to say, where you been, Wallace? But that's just me trying to be funny. But we have a guy who has some records that maybe some of you might not know about. We're going to start with the time that he was chosen Black College Basketball Player of the Year on Ed Hayes' Black College Sports History and Legends page back in 1996. But what I want to talk about is a guy who is one of, listen to me now, one of two NBA four-time defensive players of the year. There ain't but two guys that ever did this, this gentleman and Mutombo. We're talking about a guy who's got almost 1,500, I said 1,500 block shots for one franchise. I think it's 1,486 to be exact. One person's done that in the league. A guy who's had 1,000 rebounds, 100 blocks, 100 steals in the same season. Short list. All these kind of things are the numbers of a Hall of Famer. And just last year, just eked out not getting in the Hall of Fame. But we're going to make sure through this website that we have, through the people that we reach out and contact, and through what you're going to hear today on this podcast, that that don't happen. There ain't going to be no just missing again. We're going for it. Ladies and gentlemen, please join with me and welcome to our show, Mr. Ben Wallace. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. How y'all doing? We're hanging in there. We're doing great now that we got you. What you been doing, Ben? I mean, I know you retired now. And was it 16 years in the league? Yeah, 16 years. That's a long time, Ben. And did you, when you started playing this great game, the game that we love, that you was going to have a career that lasted that long in the NBA? I'd be lying if I said I did. But, you know, I knew if I got the opportunity that I was going to make the most of it. And, you know, I like to believe that I made the most of it. Ain't no doubt about that. On one of our earlier shows, Ben, we were fortunate enough to have your coach, Coach Robinson. We had him. And and when you start thinking about 
getting the great ones or getting the ones who perform so great, you want to ask, like, the origin of the thing. I mean, how, and I'm going to say how, I'm not going to ask why, but I'm going to say how did you end up being the player that you were at Virginia Union as opposed to somewhere else? Oh, man. You know, I came into a situation where, you know, looking at the history of the school and the history of the players that played my position that came through Virginia Union immediately, after seeing all that, I felt the pressure to go out and perform. You know, I always believed in myself, but, you know, just looking at the list of guys, you know, the, the Charles Oakley, Terry Davis, you know, Derek Johnson, you know, those guys that came before me and the things that they was able to accomplish, you know, at Virginia Union, I definitely wanted to put my name in the hat as being one of the best players that ever come through Virginia Union as well. So they set a high standard, and I came in, and I, I just tried to live up to the standards that they already had set. Well, you certainly did that. There are a couple of things I want to ask you about, which I think I found interesting. Because we've done our research. We tried anyway. I had a chance two years ago go to Italy and play, and I know you went to Italy and played. Now, how was that? Oh, man, it was playing over in Italy. It was a culture shock. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, I wouldn't say that I did a lot of traveling, but I've been a couple of places, you know, Cleveland, you know, New Orleans, Virginia, you know, Alabama, Tennessee. But being over in Italy, man, first it was a culture shock, and then that language barrier. It made me realize one thing about basketball, how very, very special basketball was, you know, because when I was on the outside, you know, walking around the street, you know, it was hard for me to communicate with anybody on, on the street. But, you know, once it came practice time, game time, basketball bridged that language barrier so much for me till it made it easier for me to adjust and enjoy my time over there a little bit. So a long ways from Whitehall, Alabama, is that it? Whitehall, Alabama, 4-5. That's a long way from Whitehall, Alabama to Italy. <laughs> Man, it, was, <laughs> it made me look up one time and just wonder, you know, thinking back living in Alabama, it made me look up and think, like, wow, kid, how do you get here? <laughs> <laughs> Ben, I'm from a real small town in North Carolina called Rayford. So for me to go from Rayford, North Carolina, over to Italy, also I think about the miles of that trip and the cultural differences, but also certainly some of the things that I've seen. And I had a chance to thank basketball for those things. So I'm right there with you. But what makes you and I a little bit differently, I'm an only child. And I understand in your family there was a bunch of boys. And how many is a bunch? It's eight boys, three girls. And I understand that the basketball games got to be a little bit heated sometimes outside of the house because from what I read, you were the smallest. Yeah, I'm definitely the smallest. And sometimes you want to use the technical term as heated, but I think yeah. sometimes it just got downright violent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I was cool, though, because I know I always had an ace in the hole by me being the smallest, being the youngest. You know, I knew I could always go to the house and scream for mine. So mine <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, from what I've said it too, is you didn't just play basketball. You played all the sports, including football. In fact, you were pretty darn good in football. And I think that because of how good of a football player you were, did that not have some of the reason that you ended up where you were in college instead of maybe someplace like uh, Auburn or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I was recruited by majority of the football teams down south, and everybody just assumed that 
you know, because I was pretty good at football. Everybody just assumed that I was going to play football, and nobody really searched me out or looked me up, you know, as a basketball player. But I think my junior year in high school, I fell in love with the game of basketball. And my senior year in high school, my football team struggled, so it made me focus more on basketball. Okay. And, you know, after graduation, I wanted to try my hand in basketball because I just had a love and a passion for the game after that. You know, I sometimes rumors become legends and they become stories, and they may be true, they may not be true. But I heard about a story of a one-on-one contest at a basketball camp with you and Charles Oakley that turned, I guess, even bloody. Is there any truth to that story? I mean, have you ever played against Charles Oakley? One-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-five-on-five. You know it's going to be some bloodshed when you play against Oak. So So either you're going to step up and meet the challenge, you know, or he's going to steal your soul. So, you know, I had a chance to play with Oak, you know, Oak being Oak, bowls get to flying, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I was 10 of 11 kids, so, you know, I, I done seen my blood spill before. I, I know what the end result is. We both got to shed a little blood. So it, it was a nice matchup, man. It, it was more of, of a teaching point, you know, because we was being a little rowdy, wasn't listening to what the coaches and the counselor was trying to teach. And he was trying to make the point that if you know everything you need to know about basketball, then you don't need to be here. So if you think that you're that good, come out here and I can teach you a little something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that turned out as one of you say, kind of a teaching point. But I guess where I was going to with that, it, it wasn't at that point when you stood up to Charles Oakley as physical and as successful as Charles was, was that a point where you said, I can do this? at another level, at a higher level? Because to have the career that you had, at some point in time, you had to say, I believe in me. I believe in me to the point where I can go and compete. You certainly weren't the tallest center in the league ever. And to have that kind of career, somewhere along the line, something had to snap or click for you to say, I can do this. Do you have a moment that you would call back and say, it was at this moment or this time or CIAA tournament or one day at practice with Coach Robbins, when Ben Wallace realized who Ben Wallace was as a basketball player? You know, that was definitely a turning point in my basketball career. It made me believe that if you go out there and you play as hard as you possibly can play, that good things will happen. And also looking at Oak and the way he played the game, you know, how physical he was underneath the basket, it just put me in the mind of, of playing football because I had that <laughs> football. I'm like, when I get in this paint, you know, I'm just going to bang people around. And I think it was my sophomore year in college and at a community college that I, I gained 15 pounds of muscle. And I realized that I can go under the basket and I can move people around and I can manipulate bodies and I can get position, you know, anytime I felt like it. It was at that point that I was realizing that, you know, I want to be a professional player. I had to play on the professional level. And Oakley would come to town in Cleveland and would allow us to go down to the Coliseum and play against some of the Cavs players. You know, you got Brad Doherty, you know, Larry Yeah. Yeah. And when I was out there being able to stand and hold my own against them, I thought I could really play in the NBA given the right situation. And when I left community college, Charles Oakley called Dave Robbins, and Dave Robbins called me and was like, we would like you to come to Virginia Union. 
And I was like, okay, well, I'm getting some films together so you can see what type of game I have. And he said, okay. no need. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, Charles Oakley said that I should sign you. I said, oh, okay. So he said, if Charles Oakley said you can play, then you can play because Oakley believes everybody is a bum. So, All right. So it was then, you know, that gave me motivation to believe that I can play on the next level because here's this guy, you know, a professional player who never recommended to co-sign anybody, and he going out on the limb and he recommended that, yeah. you know, sign me sight unseen. So we're at Virginia Union, and success was really, really good there. And talking to Coach Robbins, uh, he told me, uh, he said, you know, we were so good, <laughs> people couldn't get in the gym. He said, so everybody had to park four or five blocks away and walk to the gym, and some people were scared to walk because <laughs> they had to park so far away. He said that what bothered him is a lot of people said, you know, it's dangerous to come to the games. He said it wasn't dangerous to come to the games. They just had to walk so far because it was always a sellout because he talked about all the success that y'all had early on at Virginia Union, and a lot of it was around Ben Wallace. And, again, I saw you play at the CIAA tournament, and I remember doing my commentary because you got a few dunks, and they were not just regular dunks. <laughs> they were rather explosive dunks, Ben, as I recall. So talk about that time in the team and, and the winning at Virginia Union. Man, it was, you know, once I got to Virginia Union and I got a chance to meet Coach Robbins, and then I think it was after having about five practice, I understood, you know, him as a coach, him as a person, and I understood exactly what he was looking and demanding from us. Okay. You know, his ability to teach, you know, was something that blew me away. He wasn't one of those guys that put in a place today and another place tomorrow who just try to run through their playbook. You know, he puts in his plays and teaches them, and he allowed everybody to get them. And I can tell you, even to this day, every play that we ran at Virginia Union, one time after seeing it, I could run that play from all five positions. That's how great of a teacher he was. So, wow. you know, having that type of teacher, you know, with that type of work ethic made me want to work harder. So knowing the crew that came before me, you know, like I said, Charles Oakley, the Terry Davis, you know, the Derrick Johnsons, and the A.J. English, when those guys and the respect that they have for, for Coach Robbins, I'm like, you know, it got to be something special about this guy. You know what? To accumulate so much talent at one place, that says a whole lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, he was one of the guys that made you want to go out there and win for him and for the legacy of the school and just to show everybody what type of person and what type of player you were because Virginia Union was such a small school that yeah. these big-time players, but still not getting the type of recognition that I thought they should be getting. Okay. So we talk about the successes and the winning there and the coaching there and the learning there. But when it came time to be drafted, your name wasn't called. How did you deal with that? Because, I mean, you put in the work and you, you've had the success and you've got the people who have talked about you as a player, myself included. How did you deal with when your name wasn't called for the draft? Oh, man. I was sort of like on the wire, like, was I going to be drafted or was I not going to be drafted? 
I thought I had put in enough work to be recognized to have the honor of having my name called on draft day. But then when it didn't happen, I would have said it made me refocus. I went from being hungry and wanting to play in the NBA to now I'm starving. And all right. Now, I got looked over by all these teams, and then it became like, now I just want an opportunity to prove all of these people wrong. I watched the draft. I watched some of the players in the draft. You know how you sort of compare yourself to certain guys. And right. By the time I finished, you know, I had myself going in the top five in the draft. Okay. <laughs> And look, you're supposed to because if you don't think you can do it, ain't nobody else going to think you can do it, right? Nobody else. So that was my mindset. Once I got that chance in Washington, it was my opportunity. You know, people ask me if I wouldn't have made it to the NBA, what was my backup plan? Well, my plan B was to make sure plan A worked because there is no plan B. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I understand. This is going to throw you out a little bit. Tell me about the truck you bought from Chris Webber. Yeah, man, I was there, man. (laughs) (laughs) I was in Washington, man. I was fortunate enough to come into the league with some great veteran guys, man, that really took me under their wing and, you know, really looked out for me, made sure I was where I needed to be, made sure I was doing what I needed to be doing. You know, I had guys like Rod Strickland, Harvey Grant, Chris Webber, Jawan Howard, Calvin Chaney, Tracy Murray, Chris Whitney. You know, George Mirror's son, you know, those guys took great care of me, man. And I was looking at all them luxury rides that they were driving. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at my salary, and I was making like 225000 at the time, and there's 48 47% taxile bracket. I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to afford these cars. And Chris Weber approached me and said, you know, I got this truck I just bought but I want to get something different. I don't think it's the truck that I really want. It was like, you know, if you want to buy it, you know, I'll give you a great deal. And I was like, of course I want to buy it. And he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he gave me a great deal. He allowed me to pay whenever I could, you know, no down payment, no monthly payment. It was just like, oh, yeah. He was like, whenever you get it, man, you know, just give it to me. You know, that's how we did it, man. So, had some great veterans that really looked out for me, man. Big up to see well. And you know, Ben, the reason I brought that up is because in studying the relationship that you've had with your teammates, and I thought that that might have been a good jumping off point, but it seems like your relationship with teammates has played a very important role in how well your NBA career was, particularly the camaraderie that you developed with the way everybody loves you in Detroit. Again, when I go back to that night, for that bobblehead night, those people were really excited about your bobblehead night. But I understand that every Thanksgiving and Christmas and those holidays are coming up now, when you were entrenched with that Piston team, with Flip and with Chauncey and, and with Rashid, you know, it was always somebody's house for Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, that the family unit that you guys developed along with championships and making it to the finals is something that has played an important part in the basketball life or in the life in general of Ben Wallace. Yeah, I mean, it played a major, a major part 
you know, I tell everybody this, that we wasn't just teammates, man. We became a family. You know, we were brothers. We knew each other's birthday. We knew kids' birthday. We knew wives' birthday. We knew mom's birthday. You know, and we didn't just play together, practice together, and travel together. We basically did everything together. You know, New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. You know, there's always something at one of the guys' houses, and we always show up. It was to the point where Chauncey's daughter was doing a recital at school, and we found out about it, and the whole team showed up. <laughs> everybody was like, what? That's <laughs> great, that's, man. You know, those are my brothers, man. Those are my brothers for life. You know, we talked about everything. You know, I would just engage guys on casual conversation, you know, because life for us ain't always about X's and O's, you know. It's about trying to figure out why this guy had such a bad game, not just because his shot was off. You know, he got some person going on in his life. So we right. talk about that. You know, it's a lot to just being able to communicate. So that was my biggest thing was communication. As long as you can communicate, you can solve all problems. When I'm going to ask you some of them little nerdy kind of questions, why do you wear number three? What's the significance of that? <laughs> Why I wore number three, my sophomore year in, in community college in Cleveland, I was a fan of number four. In high school, I tried to wear number four, but number four was ordered for a guard, so it was too small. Oh, okay. Then when I got to try C my first year, they didn't have number four, so I had to wear number 44 again. And then the next year was time to order new uniforms, and they asked me what number I wanted. I said number four. So I got to play at number four my sophomore year. But then when I come to Virginia Union, I asked for number four. And once again, the single-digit numbers ordered for guards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then when I got to Washington, of course, I couldn't wear number four then because Chris Webber was there. <laughs> <laughs> so I really didn't have a chance to pick my number in Washington after, you know, I see Chris Webber there. I didn't have a chance to pick it. So they was like, okay, well, we're going to give you number 30. I'm like, why number 30? <laughs> and then I looked at the roster from the year before. I was like, oh, that's why I got number 30, because they didn't have to order new units for them for me. They didn't have to change oh. anything. <laughs> they just had traded Rasheed Wallace, who wore number 30. <laughs> so, so I ended up with number 30. And I got traded to Orlando. And once again, I was able to wear number four. So I wore number four. Then when I came to Detroit, I wanted number four. But, of course, I couldn't wear number four in Detroit because that's Joe Dumas, and number four was retired already. Okay. And then we was talking birthdays. Me and my mom was talking birthdays. And we celebrated them all the time. But that's the first time, you know, she actually made me realize that we had three birthdays in the family that was back to back to back. So my mom was on the 8th, Pop was on the 9th, and mine is on September 10th. Whoa. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just get number three. So, you know, we're all there together, number three. That's a great story, man, because, you know, a lot of times, almost every player, maybe not every player, but almost every player has a story behind the number that they choose, and that's a fantastic one. That's just a fantastic <laughs> one. Okay, yeah. now, there are other numbers, your numbers, your numbers as a player. Four-time Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA, you and Matumbo. I'm sure you do. I'm going to ask you something that sounds silly for me to ask you. Do you know these numbers that stand out so much? Of course you do. 
But do you look back on it, Ben, sometime and just say, gosh, I didn't know I was that high up in that category. Uh, you know, you start talking about the defensive teams you made. Do you know that you are the only, and only means nobody else, you're the only undrafted player from an HBCU to start an all-star game? Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. They did a pretty good job educating me on my own stats. A couple years okay. Ago, I nominated for the Hall of Fame. Like I said earlier, when I went undrafted, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. I didn't just want to be one of the best after that. I wanted to be <laughs> the best Okay, the everybody. Everybody yeah. wrong. I wanted to go out to everybody. Everybody you put in front of me, every coach that lined up across from me, every player that going out competing against me, I wanted to be the best in the gym every time I stepped on the floor. This new NBA, and I'm saying it that way because that's what other people say about it. I don't know I really feel that way about it because everybody talks about when they played, and, and I think rightly so. But if Ben Wallace has to put his $45, $50 down on a ticket to go watch somebody play in this new NBA, who would you go watch? Who do you want to see play the game? Oh, man. <laughs> that's a tough one. I don't know. Right now, I would love to see what the young fella down in New Orleans is going to do. Zion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, after that, I pretty much have seen them all. You know, I had a chance to play with LeBron, played against Westbrook and then those guys. I would like to see what the young fella would be able to do, you know, being healthy, going out there night in and night out to compete at a high level. Are you one of the guys that says some of those kids couldn't play back in the day when Ben Wallace played, or you see the league has gotten stronger and better with the people who are in the league now? I'm not saying the league is stronger or better. I mean, it made some changes. Okay. Just like anything else that you have a dream or a passion to do or be a part of, it don't matter what changes they make within the game. The players in the game are going to adjust to those changes. Okay. The game was just played different when I was playing. Like, when I came in, you know, we was getting a backlash from, you know, the guys before that said the same thing about us. You're making the game soft. Right. It's the same way. Like, right now you have to admit that it's more sports entertainment right now. And you're trying to protect the longevity of a lot of these players because the way we played, man, it was it was a physical game, you know. And we was playing four games in five nights. I was going to say, you never had that load management thing, did you? Did they ever tell you you could take a night off because you were a little tired? <laughs> what is load management? <laughs> no, nah, we, we never had that. But I think it also was one of the things where we was coming in on the back end of generation before us, where you had to play in order yeah. to get paid. You had yeah. to play to be seen, you know, and we didn't have the TV deal that they have now. So you had to play almost every game, not really knowing which one going to be on TV. You know, if you play the Lakers, you're going to be on TV. If you play the Bulls, you're going to be on TV. If you play mm-hmm. the Knicks, mm-hmm. you was going to be on TV. You know, all the rest of the game, they might jump to some bonus coverage or something. So, you wanted to be sure you had to sleep. <laughs> so now they got a great TV deal in place where every game gets seen on national TV. So, you know, like I said, it's different times. I don't think back then it was no way you could have told or hurting Ben Wallace, you need to sit the night out. If I'm just hurting, 
I'm playing. If I'm injured, I would sit. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah, there was a difference between being hurt and being injured. Right. And I don't know, maybe sometimes that's a little bit blurred nowadays. You might not be able to see yeah. which, which one is which. But back then, when I first came into the league, if you went on the injured list, and once you were on the injured list, it was mandatory that you be on the injured list for five games. Right, right. So we wasn't about to sit no five games. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then they, you know, they sort of manipulate. I remember, you know, doing some of the times broadcasting, they changed the injured list. Even don't even call it that anymore. They call right. it something different so they can slide, slide you on and slide you off depending on how they need right. you. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you this, man. See what you think of this and tell me what you really think. I say your name, and again, I've had an opportunity to talk to the great Willis Reed. He's been on our podcast, and I mentioned to you Sam Jones, and a guy who didn't go to HBCU that was my teammate. I had one short year in the league, a guy named Nate Tiny Archibald was my teammate at Cincinnati. But when I think about you, I say Flip Murray, that might be the only other name I can come up with that's an HBCU player that played in the league recently. Can we expect, can we hope for, do you have belief that there can be some talent that the HBCU can develop that can make it and play in the NBA? Maybe not 16 years as you did, but do you still think that our historical black colleges and universities can produce an NBA player this day and time? I think it's possible. I think our HBCUs definitely need some help, you know, definitely need some people to step up and help out you know, whether it's financially or whatever they can do because our HBCUs have played such an important role to our society. And it's a shame to see the type of shape that they're in, especially struggling financially and seeing some of these doors closed. But I definitely think they're still capable of putting out, you know, professional talent, football and basketball, track and field yes. or whatever, you know, because – it's possible because nobody thought a Ben Wallace type would have came out of Virginia. After I did it, nobody thought Cliff Murray was going to come out of, you know, Shaw and have the type of success that we had in the NBA. But I definitely think it's possible. I even said, because they was having such a big complaint about guys coming to NCAA and playing one year and leaving, running their program, I say, well, all those one-and-done guys, they need to find a HBCU, you know? Yeah. It seems as though y'all ain't putting too much effort on, you know, what we got going on anyway, so it's not going to hurt our program, you know? But I definitely think it's still possible. Matter of fact, I know it's still possible. Well, I want to tell you that you've been a great ambassador to the sport itself. The way you've managed your career, the way you dominated the defensive part of the sport, the fact that you've come out of an HBCU obviously didn't slow you down one bit. You enhanced what the audience had to see as far as those who are there for the entertainment of it, those who follow the game close enough to say that they follow the science of the game, and the people who've had a chance to follow the origins of the game and give credit to our HBCUs where credit is due. I got one more kind of question to ask you. You still cutting hair? <laughs> <laughs> I just trimmed and shaped up the afro again yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel, I feel nice with them clippers. I mean, I wasn't playing. Well, now, the, it, this is more of a serious question, though. 
what can we do here at BC Sports and Education Foundation to help the cause of you being inducted into the next NBA Hall of Fame class? What can we do here at the foundation for you because of what you've done to enhance HBCU athletes, the sport of basketball, and the humanitarian things? What do we need to do for you? I just think, you know, speaking on it, bringing awareness to it should be enough. You know, me personally, I thought maybe it should have happened already. But if what we're doing right now and what we have been doing is not enough, we're going to start kidnapping some people and taking away them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one more thing I do want to bring up before we say goodbye, though. Can you fill us in on a little bit of Ben Wallace's RC racing team? (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, you know, I've always been a huge, huge, huge fan of RC. You know, um, when I first started my rookie season, my wife bought RC cars for my birthday. Well, let's say no, that's remote control because some people might not be hip to it. Now, that's remote control car. Yeah, remote control car. You know, the car run about 65, 70 miles an hour. You know, I figured out how to tune it, how to drive it. And a couple of years ago, I started working with a company out of Italy and now a company out of Japan where I import their cars into the United States and I distribute them throughout the United States. So huge, huge fan. A couple of weeks ago, I was out in California with RC remote control eight-scale world championship race. So it's a worldwide sport that, you know, we try to bring some awareness to it to get people to understand what it's about, try to get more kids involved, you know, to try to build a sport because it is a worldwide sport. You got a website we can send people to, Ben? WallaceMotorsport.net. And on Instagram, you can follow Wallace Motorsport. Okay. Ben Wallace, I can't tell you how grateful, how thankful we are for you. Now, and we're also thankful and grateful that you would take time to be with us on our podcast. And we wish you continued success. You've had great success as an athlete, as a representative of our community, and you've had great success as a businessman after sport. And that lets young men know, young women too, they can be successful whether they hear their name called on draft night and whether they're at an HBCU or whether they're from a small town in Alabama, that they can take that trip not only to Italy, but take it to a world champion in the NBA, which is the path that we've seen, we've had a chance to follow and admire of the great Ben Wallace. We thank you, man. We God bless you for taking the time to spend with us. And again, anything that you think we can do for you here, you call us up and we right there for you. How about that? Man, I just want to say thanks for the, you know, the past support, the present support, and the continued support, man. I appreciate it. Man, thank you, Ben. God bless you, man. Keep on getting it done, man. No doubt. I'm out here grinding. All right. All right now. Thank you. All right. Ladies All right. and gentlemen, you've had a chance to experience right along with us conversation with one of the greatest to ever play the game. Not one of the greatest players, but one of the greatest people and player to ever play the game. And you got it right here. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ben Wallace. And we hope you'll join us next time for more great conversation, information, and entertainment. I've been your host, Joe McGregor. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. 
For more information about us, please visit our website at www.bcsportsfoundation.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HBCU for Life. That's HBCU, the number four, life. To be a potential guest on our podcast, contact Ed J. Hayes at ed.j.hayes at gmail.com. Tune in next week for another amazing show.